We're reading from chapters 211 to the end of 3. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite heard about all the troubles that had come upon him, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. He said, may the day of my birth perish and the night that said a boy is conceived. That day, may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. May gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. That night, may thick darkness seize it. May it not be included among the days of the year, nor be entered in any of the months. May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. May those who curse days curse that day, those who are ready to rouse Leviathan. May its morning stars become dark. May it wait for daylight in vain and not see the first rays of dawn. For it did not shut the doors of the womb on me to hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why were there knees to receive me and breasts that I might be nursed? For now I would lie down, for now I would be lying down in peace. I would be asleep and at rest with kings and rulers of the earth who built for themselves places now lying in ruins with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not hidden away in the ground like a stillborn child, like an infant who never saw the light of day? There the wicked cease from turmoil and there the weary are at rest. Captives also enjoy their ease. They no longer hear the slave drivers shout. The small and the great are there, and the slaves are freed from their owners. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul, to those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than for hidden treasure? who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. 
I have no rest, but only turmoil. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you know uh, American Christian worship music, uh, then the name Stephen Curtis Chapman would be familiar. Uh, He's a man who's written many worship albums. Uh, He's won five Grammys, uh, 58 Dove Awards. Uh, But on May 21st, 2008, his son was reversing the car at the back driveway and hit his five-year-old sister. Maria Sue, in response to that horrific, horrific moment in their family, Stephen wrote songs. He wrote songs of that process of the grief, of the horror. And the album was called Beauty Will Rise. And interestingly enough, that was one of his most unpopular albums. Not because it wasn't good music, but because people found it too raw, too confronting, couldn't handle it. As Job 3 has just been read for us, you may feel similar sorts of things. It's quite raw, quite confronting. Maybe you can't handle it. As we entered the valley last week and opened this book in the Old Testament called Job, we meet a man who has it all and then loses it all. A man who in moments receives devastating news that changes his life. His entire business goes bankrupt. All his work colleagues die in a natural disaster. His children tragically are killed. His wife rejects him and he's covered head to toe in a skin disease where there is no cure, no relief. And we find Job on a rubbish heap alone. And it gives us permission to ask, what does a man of God do when the most horrible things come his way? How do you respond in a moment such as that? Next week, we're going to look at Job's friends who come and comfort him and see what to do and what not to do in caring for people in pain and grief. But today, we're just going to look at Job's experience. And just a warning, these words are very confronting. And so this sermon is not going to be A nice, light-hearted sermon, right? There's not going to be jokes. There's not going to be any cliched answers. There's not going to be no neat responses. It's just a time where we, as Romans says, weep with those who weep. It's going to be somber as we listen and learn from a man such as Job. So today, let's pray. Heavenly Father, there are those in this room today is a great day and there are others where it is not. Regardless of how much suffering we have experienced, 
how little or a lot. We ask that we would learn from a man of Job, a man of great faith, who has lost it all. Be with us, Lord, knowing that your scripture, all your scripture is God-breathed and it is useful, even a chapter such as this. Be with us now, we pray. Amen. Uh, a friend of mine, David Jackson, uh, a number of years ago, his dad died of cancer. And when he found out that his dad had died, he was half an hour from the hospital. And so he was there and he saw his dad. But he didn't cry. As his family and friends came in, they gave hugs and cuddles. They cried, but he didn't. As they prepared for the funeral, thought about the eulogies, he still didn't cry. And it it worried him because he loved his dad. He missed him. But there was no tears. A couple of days later, just in his kitchen, it hit him. And the damn wall burst. And this volcanic eruption of emotion just poured out. He wondered whether the, the neighbours could hear at the howls and the grief that came from his mouth. The thing about grief is you can't predict when it's coming, but it will come, often at unusual times. After seven days of silence, Job erupts. And raw emotion and pain comes from his mouth. Have a look with me in verse 1 of chapter 3. Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. Now in chapters 1 and 2, we saw Satan's goal was to get Job to curse God. He's saying, of course Job worships you. Because he has everything. Take it away, he'll curse you, says Satan. But Job does not. He does not curse God, but notice he curses the day of his birth. That's important. We read on. Verse 2, he said, May the day of my birth perish, and that night that said, A boy is conceived, that day may it turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. May no light shine on it. And about two weeks, our third child is due to be born. And I expect that day, just like the day when my two daughters were born, to be a day of great joy, great celebration. As a new life enters this world. That's how you're supposed to feel when new life comes in. Excitement, happiness. But Job is saying that day when he was born, when his mother held him, May be what? Turn to darkness. May God above not care about it. He wishes his birthday was just erased, not remembered, not celebrated, nothing. It gives you a kind of perspective into the pain he's feeling, doesn't it? These are troublesome and confronting words. Verse 7, May that night be barren. May no shout of joy be heard in it. When you go to the hospital, 
and you're in pain, the doctors will get you to rate your pain from 1 to 10. And through poetic language, Job is saying a big 10. He is yelling 10. Do you know why he wants his birth, the day of his birth erased? Such a depression Job is in that if he never existed, he would never have known the highs and never have known the lows. As verse 10 says, hide trouble from my eyes. But Job's not done. He paints a darker picture of what's going on in here and in here. He says, verse 5, may gloom and utter darkness claim it once more. May a cloud settle over it. May blackness overwhelm it. That night, may thick darkness seize it. He wants dark clouds to envelop the sunshine. He he wants an eclipsed sun to block out the light. The desperation of Job to cover up anything good. No happiness, no smiles, no positive. He wants it covered up. Verse 8 says, May those who curse days curse that day. May those who ready to rouse the Leviathan. That word Leviathan there, it's an ancient Near Eastern sea monster. That is wanting Job to, to come up and wreak havoc. Uh, If you've seen the movie Lord of the Rings, where the hobbits uh, accidentally disrupt a a Balrog, this this monster, and it wreaks havoc. That's the kind of image Job wants. He wants not only darkness, but he wants devastation. He wants to blot out that day. Physically, emotionally, and spiritually, it is overwhelming the pain that Job is in. You think about it. Every time he moves his body would be aching and stinging. No pain relief whatsoever. Every time a memory comes up for one of his work colleagues, they're gone. When he thinks about his son, his sons, and he thinks about his daughters and used to play with them, hug them, and they're gone. All of them. There's no joy. There's no light. Let me ask you, how are you feeling at this point? It's big, isn't it? I think as contemporary Christians, we we struggle with this, don't we? I kind of do. We wonder a number of things. Is he supposed to say these kind of things? It doesn't seem all that godly. Maybe he should focus on the positive. He's alive. But it's important to remember two verses that guide us. The first is this. The very first verse of this book says, Job was a blameless and upright man. He feared God and shunned evil. That's the first one. The second important verse is verse 10 of chapter 2, which says, Job did not sin in what he said. So those two verses give us a guide that Job is an innocent sufferer. He he shouldn't be experiencing these things, but he is. And yet what Job says is not wrong, but it is right and appropriate. Because what Job is doing here is what Ed explained a bit. He's lamenting. 
Now, lamenting is something where you pour your anger, your frustration, your agony out to God. It is where you're brutally honest with Him. And what is amazing is that lamenting is worship. Verse 20 of chapter 1, Job fell to the ground in worship. Now that might be hard for us to understand because we might think worship is praise and singing and positivity. But worship is also howling and crying and weeping to God. That you are just as much worshipping God when you're singing praises to Him in church as you are crying in a hospital to God. You are much worshipping God on a Sunday serving people, pouring yourself out as you are on a Monday pouring your heart out in anger to God. Lament is worship. And for some of you, you have experienced terrible things in this life. And whether you've been told or whether you, you've felt it, this, this, this thing of, I need to be joyful. I need to bottle up my anger and my hurt and my question. And I need to be happy. I need to be joyful. I need to have courageous faith. But Job 3 is telling you, you don't have to bottle it up anymore. But it is a good thing to pour it out to the God who listens and longs to hear your lament. Some of you might be wondering, if Job is a man of faith, where is his faith in a chapter such as this? Now, I've said it before, I'll say it again. Whenever you experience suffering, particularly severe suffering, it will always weaken your faith. That's a normal thing. I mean, Job was a great man of faith, a blameless man, and a truckload of agony and pain came his way and it almost decimated it. But as we read this chapter, there's glimmers of hope that he still has faith. You know where they are? They're found in a three-letter word. Why? And it comes up again and again. Verse 11. Why did I not perish at birth and die as I came from the womb? Why is life given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? This glimmer of hope, this this why is is a restlessness. He hasn't been defeated. He hasn't given up on God. Well, that's fate. And walk away. He's asking God why, 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 and asking question after question. Say, God, you, you, you are good, and yet I'm experiencing so much evil and, and terror. God, you are in control, and yet I feel like my life is chaotic. Why, why, why? Asking God blunt questions. I was talking to a, a lady from our 7 p.m. congregation a couple of weeks, months ago. And uh, she went through some personal anguish and just said, uh, but I feel like I've got to be joyful. I've got to be happy in the Lord. And I said, you know, you can actually ask God why. You can ask him some blunt questions. She said, really? And I said, 
to be honest, I have lost count at the amount of the question, complaining style questions in the Bible. I started counting them one day, I gave up. There are a lot. And the point is this it is good and right for you to bring your brutally honest questions to God, to ask Him why. To ask him, God, why do I have cancer? To say, God, why did my child die? They were so innocent. Why am I chronically unwell so many times again and again? Why is it you say you're there for me and I feel like you're not? Why are not things going the way that I wanted them to go? And by asking those questions, you're actually showing faith. Because that wrestle with God, wrestle with your God, is there. Personally, though, I don't know, but I'm quite reluctant to do it. Bit of a mixture. Feel like it's a bit rude. Feel like maybe my issues are too small. That's not the case on either of them. But the main reason why I'm reluctant to do this is I just haven't done it much. When it comes to praying, I've had to learn how to pray. When it comes to reading the Bible, I've had to learn how to read the Bible. When it comes to using my gifts, I've had to learn how to use them. And when it comes to lament and asking questions of God, we have to learn how to do it in small and in the big. But there's one question of Job that you may think is one question that's too much. One not to ask. That's verse 20. Why is light given to those in misery and life to the bitter of soul, to those who long for death that does not come, who search for it more than for hidden treasure, and who are filled with gladness and rejoice when they reach the grave. Now at this point, Job is thinking death seems like the best option. That that would bring relief and peace. Now Job, later in, in chapter 17, he has clearer moments. He says, no, this is not the case. But for this moment, it feels like it's his only option. And for a number in this room, I presume we can't understand this. But there's some of you in this room who can. Let me tell you the words from a lady named Kelly and her experience. This is what she says. There was a time in my life that I prayed out to the Lord to take it. I remember vividly Vividly, because it was immediately after my 13-hour nerve transplant. I woke up in the most excruciating pain that I've ever experienced at age 12. My legs were burning since they removed the long nerve that runs underneath your knee to your ankle in both legs. So each leg was bandaged up past my knees and it would burn if I straightened them. 
My neck was in so much pain since they took out the nerve from my spinal cord. At that time, it was the most pain I'd ever experienced. When I came out of surgery, I remember lying down in the hospital bed, crying in pain and praying, Lord, why did you save my life in the car accident so that you would allow me to suffer to such a great degree? Lord, please take me home to be with you. Please allow me to fall asleep and wake up in your presence. Over the course of those days in hospitals, in hospital, there were days when I screamed out in loud pain, pleading that the Lord would make it stop and bring me home. Suffering can sometimes take you to the brink where it feels like it is better to die than to live. And some of you know not only what Kelly's going through, but what Job is, and you've been there. And if you have been there, let me just say this, you are not alone. Job and other characters in the Bible have been there too. But it is important to say this, choosing to live while longing to die is one thing. Taking matters into your own hands is another. Never does Job step forward in attempting suicide or taking action into his own hands and ending his life, right? He knows that God is the giver and author of life. But what he does is very important. He talks about it. He vocalizes it. He doesn't keep it in here. He speaks about it. And can I say, if this is you, or you find yourself in a situation like this, then talking to someone is very important. Now, God has blessed us in this country with a great resource called Lifeline. The number's on the screen. Whether you or people you know are in a very dark place, such as this, that is a great resource to utilize. But can I say, if you find yourself in a moment such as this, then talking about it is one of the most important things that you can do. Now I'd like to say that this chapter ends with an uplifting note. Uh, happily ever after. Positive finale. But it doesn't. It ends with this. For sighing has become my daily food. My groans pour out like water. What I feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened, what I dreaded was ha- has happened to me. I have no peace, no quietness. I have no rest, but only turmoil. All he can eat is the tears that stream from his face. His nightmare has become a reality, and all he has is turmoil. And our temptation at this moment right here is because we're afraid of this space, afraid of being in the valley, is to jump out too quickly. 
is to look for the positive, is to, well, let's see what we can thank God for. Let's turn to Romans 8. But we should not be afraid of a moment such as this. It is bleak. It is awkward. It is sad. But it's okay to be in this space. Job 3 is not the final chapter of this book. That's important to say. But we're not at chapter 4 yet. We're in chapter 3. And because we find, particularly us Aussies, find it uncomfortable in moments such as this, we crack a joke, we do something to change the topic. But it's actually okay to be in the valley. And my temptation as a preacher is quickly to jump to, well, yes, but Jesus is alive. Let's talk about heaven. Let's talk about the resurrection. But I think that's for another day. We do need to look at the greater Job, Jesus. But we go to a moment that is even darker than Job chapter 3, where Jesus was crushed by the unbearable weight of sorrow. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus echoes these words of Job in his darkest hour, where Jesus says, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. And he prayed, it says, with loud cries and tears, and he wept alone. The next day, he experienced unimaginable agony on a cross. And there, all alone, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? First lady I ever knew, the first person I ever knew who died in my life was a lady called Vicki Hutchinson. She was a single mum, two boys. She had cancer. And she said, I have prayed many prayers in my life, but there's one prayer I'm thankful I don't have to pray. And it's what Jesus did on the cross. She never had to pray, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That Job and Jesus shared in the agony of losing it all. But Jesus took a step forward and said, I'm going to lose my father. Why? Why would he do that? Why would he intentionally do that? Job didn't have a choice. Jesus did. Why would he do that? To give you a glimmer of hope. That when you weep, when you howl, when you cry, when you're full of despair, when the pain is too much, when the grief is overwhelming, when you are distraught, when you're at wit's end, Jesus saying, I went to the deepest, darkest valley imaginable. So that when you're in your valleys, you'll know you're not alone. You're not alone. 
But Job, he doesn't know any of this. And even if he could, I don't know if he'd be able to hear it. One day, but not today. Today is a day of despair, of lament. And that's okay. Brothers and sisters, in response, we're going to turn to a time of corporate prayer where we lament as a congregation and by ourselves, giving us the opportunity to bring our questions, our desires, and our hopes to God. Sarah is going to lead us through that in a moment. But I'm going to invite the band up now. Who's going to play a song of lament and give us a moment to, to be still. To hear these words. To think about your own situation. The situations of those around you. To come to our God and to be still. Knowing that he is there with us. Not only in the good days. But also in the sad days.